Today's message has been brought to you by Faith Family Church in Billings, Montana. For more information, visit faithfamilybillings.com. Good morning, good morning. Praise the Lord. I see most of you battled through the, through the roads. I tell you, I was surprised. It was like rough, thick ice around Park City, and the closer I got this way, this must be like heaven over here. <laughs> you got this little skiff out in the parking lot there. All right, let's pray. Father, we just give you praise and glory this morning. I thank you for the blessing of being here. I thank you for the blessing of the saints. You have called us your children. You've called us your saints, Lord. We give you praise and glory. Father, that your words come forth today out of my mouth, that we have ears to hear and hearts to receive, Father, to give you all the glory and the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Got a little slide here for you if they haven't lost it. So you may give, you never give me any positive reinforcement. Well, first, you have to do something worth praising. And you can't call yourself a leader, you make me go first. <laughs> this is one of the conundrums of leadership. <laughs> I know I got a kick out of a, a person one time, they said, you know, you really need to say something good about people. And you run into this person that was just really hard to find something good about him, and kept thinking and kept thinking, finally says, you know, your elbow bend's really good. <laughs> you got to find it where you can find it. Okay, let's go into our, our uh, scripture for this, this uh, season. Say, the saying is true and irrefutable. If any man eagerly agrees, eagerly seeks the office of bishop, or no, superintendent or overseer, he desires an excellent task or work. Now, a bishop must give no grounds for accusation, but must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, circumspect and temperate and self-controlled, he must be sensible and well-behaved and dignified, boy, and lead an orderly and disciplined life. He must be hospitable, showing love for all, and for being a friend to believers, especially strangers or foreigners, and be capable and a qualified teacher. Not given to wine or combative, but gentle and considerate, not quarrelsome, but forbearing and peaceable. Not a lover of money, insatiable for wealth or ready to obtain it by questionable means. He must rule his own household well, keeping his children under control with true dignity, commanding their respect in every way and keeping them respectful. For if a man does not know how to rule his own household, how is he to take care of the church of God? He must not be a new convert, or he may develop a, or be clouded, be clouded in a stupid state of mind as a result of pride and be blinded by conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil once he did. Furthermore, he must have a good reputation and be well thought of by those outside the church, lest he become involved in slander and incur reproach and fall into the devil's trap. In like manner, deacons must be worthy of respect, not given to much wine, not greedy for base gain, craving wealth, and restoring to ignoble or dishonest methods of getting it. They must possess the mystic secret of faith. Christian truth is hidden from ungodly men with a clear conscience. Let them also be tried and investigated and proved first. If then they turn out to be above reproach, let them serve as deacons. Hallelujah. We thank you, Father. So, getting back to the idea to be a good leader, you need to be a good disciple. The interesting thing about a bishop, we've talked about deacons. We're going to 
review some things to wrap up this series. But the bishop isn't mentioned very often in the scriptures. I think there's like three or four places where he's actually mentioned as a bishop. Most everything is done by who you might call the deacons, the workers, you know. The interesting thing about being a superintendent, I know when I became a superintendent at the refinery I worked at, I came up through this path of being proven. I started down here loading rail cars, worked my way up through the units. If somebody asked for something to be done, I says, I can do that. When somebody says, well, would you like to take this job? I'll do that. I had I'd learned as part of that Walmart thing of how may I help you? And I began to say, I'll take that. And I actually, you know, got above my competence level several times. <laughs> but God was always faithful because he put me in those places where people would ask me to do things. I would do them, would put me in the eye of the management people. So as I moved up, I moved through being a console supervisor. We talked about that. I worked up to be a shift supervisor, which means I moved out amongst the people. I worked the console once in a while, and I moved up to being a shift superintendent. As a shift superintendent, I always used to say the refinery was mine on nights, weekends, and holidays because there was nobody else there. I was the one responsible for the operations of the refinery. Um, I oversaw the consoles. I had to know both sides of the refinery. I had to know all the emergency procedures within the refinery. I had to go out and keep in touch with the employees. I had to study, study and work out all the safety issues. I had to make sure we had safety meetings. I had to make sure people were doing their work safe and they had the proper PPE. I wasn't doing the work that I really thought I should do. I was a guy that liked to get my hands on things. I wanted to turn the valves. I wanted to make those moves on the computer and, and see the process work. And now instead, I'm walking along and I'm saying, you need to move that valve about two, you know, two ounces of pressure there, please. <laughs> and, but it was, it was an odd situation because as a superintendent, my job became more of a paperwork job. And a paperwork job is... As an overseer or superintendent, so I've got these people working for me and, and I'm doing evaluations. And I'm talking to people saying, you know, you're not doing the job you're supposed to be doing. And I'm talking to other people saying, you guys are doing great. And I'm like that, that slide we saw. I mean, the, some guy come up and says, well, you never give me a good evaluation. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So then I have to ask them, so what are you doing that would require a good evaluation? That I would give you a good evaluation? Um, I had one person come in one time, and I talked to him, and I said, and I gave him a scripture. You know, it says, we're supposed to be doing our work as unto the Lord. You can't talk to me like that. Really? <laughs> I said, who are you working for? Honestly. And it became a thing of respect. Do I respect the people that work for me? Do they respect me? It's that give and take thing. How do we respect one another? And that following that line of leadership that if I say that there's enough trust that I say do this, they do it. So it was one of those things that I had to learn, you know, as an overseer or a superintendent, it was more of a paperwork role. I did a lot of those things that kept my hands away from the actual operations, but now I was dealing with people. And people are a whole different animal. 
I know if I could go open this valve, I knew something was going to happen. I knew exactly what it was. And if I closed this valve, I knew exactly what was going to happen. But if I talked to this person, I didn't know who they were going to talk to and who they were going to talk to and who they were going to talk to by the time it came back to me. We've all heard that uh, game where you whisper something in somebody's ear and by the time you hear it after it comes around, it's like, that ain't nothing like I started to say. So it became an area of how do I become a good leader? How do I become a good overseer? So I had to look at some things. And the bishop being an inspector or a superintendent, the pastor is a shepherd and feeder. Now, he is the under-shepherd, and he is the person who has the, the, if you want to call it, control of the church. And that control means that he has put systems in place. Who's going to be where? Who's going to work what? So that they all work together jointly. But we all bring our talents. He doesn't, he doesn't say to me, he says, Rick, you're going to be ministering on leadership, and I want you to teach this. He says, I want you to minister in leadership. What's the Lord got for you? So he challenges me. He challenges me. (laughs) And then he tells me, and by the way, 45 minutes. And that's good, you know? Because because if, if I can do that, I'm showing myself faithful, right? So I got to looking at this, and it became this thing about gifts and works. So in Ephesians 4.11, it says, And his gifts were, this is the Amplified, varied. He himself appointed and gave men to us, some to be apostles, special messengers, some prophets, inspired preachers and expounders, some evangelists, uh, preachers of the gospel and traveling missionaries, some pastors, shepherds of his flock, and teachers. So then he goes to 1 Corinthians 12.28, and he says, So God had appointed some in the church for his own use, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then wonder workers, then those with ability to heal the sick, and then helps. Helps, the word helps is relief. That was kind of an interesting word, I thought. We talk about the, the, uh, the office of helps or the ministry of helps. You understand that when you're in the ministry of helps, you're relieving your pastor? You are. You are relieving your pastor. And if he can trust you, that's a great relief. Then comes bishops or administrators. And then there's speakers in a different unknown tongue. So when we look at this, how do we spell leadership? We spell it W-O-R-K. It's work. How do you spell good marriage? It's W-O-R-K. <laughs> it's what it is. The word work, ergon in the Greek, means to toil as an effort or occupation, as an act or deed. Now John 14, 11, and 12, it says, Jesus is speaking to them. He says, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me by the very work's sake. And that works is deeds. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believes on me, the works that I do shall he do also. The deeds that I do he shall do also. And greater works than these shall he do because I go unto my Father. Jesus told us to look at his works and then do his works and greater would follow if we do his works. In other words, if we do his works, then I can trust you with more. If you won't do the works that I sent you to do, I can't trust you with more. 
Titus 3.8, it says, this message is most trustworthy. And concerning these things, I want you to in- insist steadfastly so that those who have believed, trusted, and relied on God may be careful to apply themselves to honorable occupations and doing good. King James says, good works. For such things are not only excellent and right in themselves, but they are good and profitable for the people. There's a lot of things in, in Scripture about works. I know one of the first few messages I did for men, one of the things I did a study on was works. And it's mentioned over 417 times in the Bible and over 176 times in the New Testament. And as one person told me uh, at school, if he's mentioned at least twice, it's probably going to be on the test. So it will be on the test. We'll get to the test in a minute. Excuse me. Verse 14 in the Amplified says, And let our own people really learn to apply themselves to good deeds, to honest labor and honorable employment, so that they may be able to meet the necessary demands whenever the occasion may require not be living idle and uncultivated and unfruitful lives. The King James says, And let ours also learn to maintain good works for necessary uses that they be not unfruitful. The interesting thing about works is jobs. Jobs are works. Why do we have jobs? Well, we're supposed to work. But you know, when we work, we get a paycheck. What are you supposed to do with that paycheck? Are you faithful to give? Are you faithful to take care of your family? Or do you spend it on yourself? I've been kind of guilty of that a time or two. A new toy shows up, and Luann says, where'd that come from? Oh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's a miracle. <laughs> but, you know, the thing is, we are called to do good works for a lot of various reasons. We're called to have a job. Part of having a job is a responsibility. You know, there's a lot of people who have a job, but they don't take a responsibility. I mean, we've seen this oftentimes. You know, I've, I've talked to people who said, well, I, I gave this guy a job to do, and when I came back, I had to finish it. Why did you have to finish it? Because the guy wasn't faithful. He didn't show himself faithful. So the next time you have a job, do you use him? Or do you put somebody on top of him and say, make sure he finishes it? You know? Now I've tied up two people to do one man's job. You know? We should be faithful in that place that if somebody tells me, um, well, in my case, if Pastor Sean says, okay, we're going to have a new believers class and this is what we want to do, my job is to say, yes, sir, and then go do it. And then if I need help, I come back and say, hey, Sean, how are we going to do this effectively? Because there's a lot of things I can do, but I'm not always effective. Now, I'm a decent... Uh, extemporaneous speaker. I mean, I got a lot of little trivia that rolls around in here, and I can talk about anything just about at any time. (laughs) I can even fool you that I know what I'm talking about. (laughs) But I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be pulling trivia out of my brain. I want to hear what the Lord has to say. I want to hear what my pastor has to say. I want to make sure I carry the vision of this church into whatever I'm doing. So we're talking about life in Christ. When I'm ministering up here, I'm ministering life in Christ. So why am I telling you to work? Because that's life in Christ. (laughs) That's life in Christ. Um, 
Philippians 21, 2, 21 and 22 says, For all others seek to advance their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ Messiah. But Timothy's tested worth, you know how a son as to his father has toiled with me zealously in serving, helping to advance the good news, the gospel. You know, so why is this important? He says, you know, a lot of times we love the gifting, but not so much the work. A lot of people really love the gifting. Oh, he's so gifted. Oh, I'm really feeling gifted. I am gifted to do this. I am gifted to do that. Well, if you don't put the work to it, you're not that much gifted. One of the things that I got to look at, because your works are going to be tested. I read this one day and it set me back on my heels. It doesn't say I'm, I'm going to heaven and everything's going to be just all nice and pie in the sky stuff. It says my works are going to be tested. So the gifting is nice. The gifting to do something is nice. But what are you doing with it? What are you doing with it? So works, oh, your lectern's coming apart here. Uh, <laughs> well, I won't talk about that. <laughs> But we do, we love the gifting, but not the testing so much. So I'm gifted to do something, but what am I doing with it? So James 1, 22 through 24 says, but be doers of the word, obey the message, and not merely listeners to it, betraying yourselves. See that word, betraying yourselves into deception by reasoning contrary to the truth. For if anyone only listens to the word without obeying it, and being a doer of it, he's like a man who looks carefully at his own natural, natural face in a mirror. He looks at himself and then goes off and promptly forgets what he is like. You know, you're gifted to do something. You, get, you look in the mirror and, yeah, you're gifted to do something. A uh, pastor I once knew took the Carnegie uh, speaking thing, how to be a leader kind of thing. And he, he said they told him to look yourself in the mirror and say, you're really good and people like you. You know? Not a bad confession, but why are you doing it? Are you taking that forward? You know, or do you get out there and all of a sudden everything you said in that mirror just went by the wayside? Um, your works show your image. And that's an important thing. If I say, to, say of myself that I am a follower of Christ, do my works show that? the people that I minister to, the people I visit with. So James 2, 15 through 26, it says, What is the use, the profit, my brethren, for if anyone is to profess to have faith, and if he has no good works to show for it, can such faith save his soul? Yeah. You know, we've talked about this, about people who've, who've raised their hand you know, we said, I think this is the first message this month. People raise their hand to receive Christ. They walk out that door and you don't see them again. They don't know. This is the part of the discipleship. Thing is, if you're around somebody like that, do you ever take the time to say, hey, I saw that you accepted Christ. You know, that's one of the things about when we have our eyes closed. What did, what did Joe McGee say? He says, I don't close my eyes. I got them wide open. I'm looking around. Who? You, you got born again. <laughs> but we get, we get self-conscious. And we don't, want to, we don't want to 
get a hold of people and, and talk to them and help them grow. These guys went out the door. I don't know that we'll ever see them again. Are they going to heaven? Probably. And I say, well, we mean probably. I don't know what they're doing with what they just did. Are they going out the door and then later on say, well, that was nothing. That was, you know. How are we going to reach them? How, what are our works going to be towards them? It says, if a brother or sister, in verse 15, is poorly clad and lacks food for each day, and one of you says to him, goodbye, keep yourself warm and well fed. You know? Yeah. Bless you. Where are we going to have lunch? You know how quickly those things happen? We're out the door. We've got our own. We just said, bless you. Feel good. I said, bless you. Without giving necessities for the body, what good does that do? See, when you're going to be a doer, if you're going to be a leader, this is where it is. Part of the thing I learned at the refinery, because I worked through all those jobs, and I took all that extra work, when they saw that and they made me a superintendent, I knew what those guys were doing. I knew what was required, because I had done it. I don't want to be this person who says, well, see ya, bless ya, hope you make it. It says, so faith, if it does not have works, deeds, and actions of obedience to back it up by itself is destitute of power. You know, there's an interesting thing when you look back at Abraham. Abraham was asked to sacrifice his son. You know, there's some important things about that sacrifice. God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son, his only son. He took his son to that place to be sacrificed by what? Faith. Because God had made a promise. You're going to be the father of many nations. I don't know what was going through his head, but in his heart, my, my God is either going to raise him up or it's, whatever's going to happen is going to be better. And because he was willing to sacrifice his son, that told heaven, uh, it's okay, I can sacrifice my son. Types and shadows. Because of what he did, Jesus came and sacrificed himself for us. But if you, someone will say to you then, you say you have faith and I have good works. Now show me your alleged faith apart from any good works if you can. And I by good works of obedience will show you my faith. See where our faith comes out? Our faith is not supposed to be hidden. If you're a leader, and when I talk about leader, I mean if you're serving tables in here, if you're serving any position in this place, you're a leader. You have works to put out there to show the people you're leading your faith. He says, uh, and I by good works of obedience will show you my faith. If you believe that God is one, you do well. So do the demons believe and shudder. I always love this. In terror and horror such as make a man's hair stand on end and contract the surface of his skin. Are you willing to be shown proof, you foolish, unproductive, spiritually deficient fellow? 
I love you. (laughs) (laughs) That faith apart from good works is inactive and ineffective and worthless. Was not our forefather Abraham shown to be justified, acceptable to God by his works? I got ahead of myself, but anyway, by when he brought the altar and offering his own son Isaac. See, we always talk about faith like it's a new thing. Abraham had faith. Moses had faith. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, I, I find this hard to imagine. I like think I'm full of faith and all this, but can you imagine sitting there standing at the Red Sea? There's that expanse of water, and you know you can't cross it. Behind you, you've got the Egyptian army. They're being held off by a cloud and a pillar of fire. And I'm looking there, and I'm looking there, and the people are saying, did you bring us here to die? Couldn't we just die in Egypt? You know, what's the problem here? And then there's an interesting thing that God says to Moses. He says, raise your staff and part the waters. He did not say, raise your staff and I will part the waters. He said, raise your staff and part the waters. And there he was with an Egyptian army behind him, and he went like this, and God moved. It was a work. Now, if he had not raised his staff and says, well, just part the waters, Lord, come on. There has to be an act of obedience. There has to be a work. A lot of people think, get work and they get all balled up on works. A lot of people, you know, years ago it used to be, and even in some religions, you have to work your way into heaven. That's not it. I work because I'm going to heaven. I work because I've been forgiven. I work because God has imparted, empowered me to do things. I work because I am gifted to do some things. And those are important things we need to do. Moses was gifted to lead. And he says, I can't. I mean, think about Moses. He's sitting there and he's stuttering over himself, finding every way in the world to get out of this. God, send somebody else, please. Well, you go and Aaron can speak for you. (laughs) You know? And so he's standing in front of Pharaoh. He's got his staff. And God says, cast down your staff. Turns into a snake. And the other priest said, well, that's no big deal. Cast theirs down, they turn into snakes. Except his snake eats their snakes. <laughs> Everything God did had to be done by a man. You've you know, you got to understand this. God does nothing on this earth that he doesn't do through people. Because he has given us dominion. And he needs, you, ever, you look in the scriptures, God talked to people before he did things. He talked to Moses before we went and did that. He talked to Abraham before he went and did that. It didn't just happen. We have to do the works of him who sent us. That's what we're called to do. He says, you see that his faith was cooperating with his works. And his faith was completed and reached its supreme expression when he implemented it by good works. I thought that was just awesome. His faith was completed and reached its supreme expression expression when he implemented it by good works. And so the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed in, adhered to, trusted in, and relied on God. 
And this was accountable to him as righteousness. It's interesting. You know, we, we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, but are we showing it? Are you showing forth the righteousness of him? As conformity to God's will in thought and deed, and he was called God's friend. Oh, I want to be called God's friend. You know, as much as I'm a child of God, I want to be called his friend. You know, sometimes we think being a friend of your kid is wrong. I'm supposed to be a dad. I'm, I'm supposed to be a friend too. Yeah, I have that, that role of raising him up, disciplining him, correcting him, leading him, guiding him, but to be a friend. Because there's going to be that day when he's here with me, like my son is here with me. <laughs> but there's that day when the father-son relationship changes into more of a friend. There's still that father-son bond, but it's a, we interact differently. I want to be that way with God. I want to have that interaction with my father as a friend and as my father. He says, you see, the man is justified, pronounced righteous before God through what he does, and not alone through faith, through works of obedience as well as by what he believes. So also with Rahab the harlot, was she not shown to be justified, pronounced righteous before God by good deeds? She wasn't even a believer. But because she rescued the spies and gave them a way out and covered for them, and they made a promise to her. And who's in Jesus' lineage? Rahab the harlot. When she took the scouts and sent them away by a different route. For as the human body apart from the spirit is lifeless, so faith apart from its works of obedience is also dead. You know, leaders, workers, deacons, bishops, whatever you want to call the role, teachers, assistants, helpers, we've got to show forth those works. Because God has placed in each and every one of you here a gift to do something. And you need to find it out through the Father, and then you need to put it to work in the church and in this world. 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 16, it says, According to the grace, the special endowment for my task of God bestowed on me, excuse me, like a skillful architect and master builder, I laid the foundation, and now another man is building upon it. But let each man be careful how he builds upon it. This scripture speaks to me Really, it should speak to anybody who's ever been in the construction business. We all understand foundations. For no other foundation can anyone lay that than that which is already laid, which is Jesus Christ the Messiah. But if anyone builds on that foundation, whether it be a gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, the work of each one will become plainly, openly known, shown for what it is. For the day of Christ will disclose and declare it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test and critically appraise the character and worth of the work that each person has done. See, nobody likes that thought. If the work which any person has built on the foundation, any product of his efforts, the efforts, work, deeds, efforts, survives this test, he will get his reward. But if any person's work is burned up under the test, he will suffer the loss of it all, losing his reward, though he himself will be saved, but only as one who has passed through fire. You know, Pastor Sean has said many times about 
you know, people having a lot of goods. And he says, that just means your pile of ashes is going to be bigger than mine. And it's true. And this wood, hay, and stubble isn't just that. It's the works you're doing outside of Christ. So when you're out there doing your, well, we'll just use Mike's business. I love, I love your business. I'm going to work for Mike. He's hired me to do a job. Did you, you didn't know that, did you? I bet you didn't either. <laughs> but he's going to hire me to do a job, and I'm going to do this job. And I'm going to do it unto him as an employer, and I'm going to put forth my best effort. And in doing unto him, I'm going to do unto the Lord. So that drywall job I do is a work relieving him. And if he can trust me, if I show myself faithful, that it doesn't look like somebody just went with a bucket of mud. If, if I show myself faithful, and God looks at that as being faithful to him. And that work shows up under here as gold, silver, and precious jewels. Now, if I go to work for Mike, and I just, oh, whatever. I do it okay. Mike comes and says, you know, if you had just done this, we wouldn't have to do much, so much sanding. Mike, come on. It's on there, right? <laughs> What's that work? It's wood, hay, and stubble. I did a job. But it doesn't meet his standards, and obviously it doesn't meet the standards of the Father because I wasn't blessing him. I wasn't relieving him. My ministry of helps just went, well, I got mud on the wall, and I need a guy to spend like five hours sanding when he could have done it in two. Cost him money. Now, Revelations... People get and they say, well, yeah, judging, whatever, you know, that's all great. But Revelations 2, I'm not going to go through all the scriptures because it would take forever, but I think I can give you the idea in the first, first one or two here. Verse 1, chapter 2. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things say he that holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know your works. I want you to understand, folks, he knows your works. And your labor, and your patience, and how you cannot bear those which are evil. You tried them which say they are apostles, and they are not, and has found them to be liars. And has borne and have patience for my name's sake. You have labored and not fainted. Nevertheless, I have something against you. He knows their works. He knows your works. He knows my works. You know, we've talked about this that I think in the first or second session I said, you know, it, it says don't everyone desire to be a teacher because of him is required a greater judgment. Did I, in this month, proclaim the word of God in truth and faithfulness 
And not just so much like reading the scriptures, because we know they are true and faithful. But what came out of my mouth in expounding on those scriptures, were they true and faithful to the Father? That gets judged. So he gets down. <clears throat> excuse me. Let me see over here. And to the angel of the church of Pergamos, in verse 12, write, these things says he who has the sharp swords with two edges. I know your works. You dwell even where Satan's seat is, and you hold fast my name. You have not denied my faith even in those days where an Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you because you have there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam. See, there's an interesting thing. Pastors are required to make sure the doctrine of Balaam doesn't come, doesn't come into this church. Do you understand that you as workers, as deacons, have a responsibility to make sure the doctrine of Balaam doesn't come into this church? You need to know the truth. You're hearing the truth up here. Every Sunday, we're hearing the truth. Every Wednesday, we're hearing the truth. The truth is in front of us that we pick it up every day. But we are required. You know, it's, it's like, uh, I know Mike probably knows this, but I know my mom worked in the bank, and I was asking her one time, because she was talking about counterfeit bills, and she, and she says, uh, yeah, you know, these counterfeit bills are out there once in a while. I says, well, when, you were count, when they were training you in the bank, did they train you with counterfeit bills so you could check them out? She says, no. We always had the real thing in front of us. Because if it wasn't real, it popped out. Something wrong with this. See, there's, you know, Scripture has said that the wolves are going to try and come in. The shepherd needs to teach the under-shepherds, the workers, the deacons, what the real thing is. When that wolf comes to the door, it's like, whoa, back up. We're not letting that in here. And we'll deal with it. And Scripture tells us how to deal with it. First one-on-one, -on -one, and then two-on-one, -on -one, and then you take them before the congregation, right? Those aren't happy thoughts. <laughs> but they happen. Because the devil wants to infiltrate the body. And if a body is doing good, he really wants to infiltrate it because we are leading people to Christ. We're leading people in the truth. We're leading people to get healed and saved and delivered and ministered to. And he does not like that. He is not omnipotent or omnipotent, but he will work through people that come in and start rumors. Those are works. He'll start rumors. He'll start instigating things. And we have to be careful that we know the truth when that pops up. It's like, whoop, just a minute. <laughs> Where's that coming from? So he says, in all these scriptures, he says, I know your works. I know your works. I know your works. He's talking to us. I know your works. See, when we stand before the Father, and, and Pastor Sean has said this, I don't stand beside him and go, uh, you know, like I kidded about earlier. I said, if you've got a problem with me, just move it to him. You know, he passed the buck up, right? It doesn't work that way. I don't say, uh, stand behind him and say, he taught me. <laughs> He's my shepherd. <laughs> yeah, but you were a bad sheep. 
And, and you know, it, it's all funny, but it's true. I mean, I stand before the Father, and he looks at me, and, and there's my pile on the foundation of Christ. My desire is that I have a lot of precious stones and gold and silver and those things that he has called, which are good works. I fear that my pile of ashes is going to be bigger. <laughs> you know? And that, that is a real fear. That means I'm not, am I doing what God has called me to do? Every day when I'm, when I'm at home with my family or I'm here at church ministering or teaching or just sitting in the congregation and hearing, am I doing what the Father has called me to do? Because he knows my works. And when it passes through that fire of judgment, what's going to be left over? Now, verse 22 of Revelations. So they always say you want to find two or more scriptures to back up whatever you say. In verse uh, 12, so we've talked about, you know, works within the church, and I know your works of the churches. It says, Behold, I am coming soon, and I shall bring my wages and rewards with me. Now, there's two words there that you need to get a hold of, wages and rewards. The wages of sin is death. The gift or the rewards of God is eternal life. I bring my wages and my rewards with me to repay and render to each one what his own actions and his own work merit. So if I'm going to sum up these last four weeks of what it takes to be a leader, you've got a responsibility to be a worker. You've got a responsibility to be a disciple. We have a responsibility to do the work of him who sent us. God, by his Holy Spirit, leads and guides and directs us. Are we listening? Are we listening? In those last days, in those days when we stand before the Father, we give account of ourselves. That's, that's, you know, this, this isn't like happy, go skipping and jumping teaching. But in a way it should be. Because if we're doing what God has told us to do, then we know there's rewards set before us. We obviously know there's going to be hashes. We know that's going to happen because we, we're all going to miss it somewhere along the way. But we repent. We get back on the right path. You know, the word says that whenever you're tried or tempted, he gives you a way of escape. Well, that way of escape is repentance because if I was tempted to go over here, then I need to repent and go over here. So, temptation is not sin. It's what you do with it. <laughs> That's one of those works. So today, as I, if I sum up being a good disciple, learn. Learn from your teachers. Learn from the word. Learn from the Holy Spirit. As deacons in the church, go forth and serve with joy. You know, Jesus, it says about Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, he went and endured the cross, the death, even the death of the cross. 
We don't have to endure that. We just have to endure people. <laughs> but honestly, go forth and serve. That's what we're called to do. We're not called to do anything else really is to serve. In this position, I serve. In that position, I serve. In men's uh, breakfast, I serve. I'm not holding myself up, but it's just, it's just what God has called me to do, to serve. He's called us all to do. Pastor Sean said, this thing is only good to be a slave, a slave to the gospel, a slave to the Lord, that I can reach others for Christ. The men's breakfast isn't something just to have breakfast. It's for guys to bring other guys. We got Dale teaching. We're using that gift to teach us, to, to show us about things that offense. And I just serve a breakfast so the guys come and they'll have a breakfast and, and have a time to enjoy. It's a good thing. We need to find our spot. If you're not sure, talk to pastor. He'll find a spot. You never know. Toilets might need to be plunged. <laughs> no, they're just, they're just things we have to, sometimes we are a little confused about why we're here and what we need to do. Pastor's got the spirit of God in him in the direction of this church. And he'll help. We just need to be willing. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for every person here. I thank you every person here that is a worker, Father God, for you. And Lord, that you're blessing them in the offices that you've put them in, Father God. You're blessing them in their work that they do, Father, in the name of Jesus. I thank you, Father, for the blessing of your word that teaches us, your spirit that enforces it. Hallelujah, Father God. We thank you that we sit at your right hand in glory in Christ Jesus. Oh, Father, we praise you. We thank you so much. Father, help us. Help us to help you. Help us to help people who come into this church. Help us to help others, Father. Help us to help our pastors. Help us to be those ministers of light that you've called us all to be. Father, you've called us all to be ministers of reconciliation to the world. Help us to fulfill that job, Father God, to do that which is right and proper in your sight. Father, I give you praise this day. I thank you for everybody that's here. I give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen today. If you would like more information about Faith Family Church, including service times and location, visit faithfamilybillings.com.